You're listening to The Kelly Track Show. I'm your host, Kelly Track, author, coach, and eternal optimist. Each week, I'll give you lessons to elevate your life, reclaim your personal power, and truly awaken and transform. Your best life starts right now. my friends. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here, for tuning in and for listening. I am so excited to share this guest episode with you today. We have Alex Damore with us. She is amazing. If you love the real talk, if you are really excited for an hour of feeling really at home and honestly, like you're talking to a bestie, you are in for a treat today. Alex is incredible and I'm so excited to have her with us on the podcast today. Alex is the founder of On Our Moon, which is a digital tent, a place where vulnerability reigns supreme and where stories and wisdom from a spectrum of lived experiences create a new take on wellness, which means wellness without the bullshit, which I totally love. This company was founded by Alex Demore, who has navigated a lifelong journey of experiencing, processing, and moving through shame. And while she tried every single trick in the book to move through past trauma, and she really does mean every single trick in the book, story has been a constant form of solace and healing for her. Listening to others and sharing her own story has become the most powerful tool in helping her navigate her way out of shame and back into connection with herself, her body, and others. This is why she built Honor Moon and she designed a period candle. With a team of writers giving voice to diverse lived experiences and dedicated to raw truth-telling, Honor Moon is recreating the sacred gathering space to share a story, wisdom, and insights while caring for one another with love and tenderness. In the process, they are redefining wellness as the powerful internal life journey it is, creating a world filled with self-loving and radically self-accepting humans. This episode today is so beautiful. If you have ever experienced hardship or pain or trauma or deep wounds in your life, I think you are going to find a lot of comfort in this conversation and a lot of moments of like, oh my goodness, people feel like that too. And I'm not alone, which is exactly what my intention is for this episode for you today. So before we dive into this really deeply nourishing conversation today, I want to give a couple of shout outs to our podcast supporters. So the first one comes from Podigy. Podigy is a company that edits podcasts. So if you have a podcast and you are looking to have it professionally edited and sound engineered and uploaded and syndicated to your podcast players, Podigy is 100% the company for you. So with everybody's podcast journey, there comes a time when you're like, yeah, I really need to hand off the editing to somebody else. Editing is so much work. It takes a lot of time and a lot of technical skill. So if you are looking for the pros to do it for you, so you can just stay in your zone of genius and have the conversations you want to have and do the solo shows that you want to do, I really encourage you to hire Podigy. I love them. I work with them personally. They edit the show for me and they do an amazing job. So when you sign up for Podigy, just let them know that the Kelly Track Show sent you and you're going to get 50% off your first month of editing. Plus, one of the reasons I love Podgy so much is that they're so efficient. They're so on top of everything. They just do the work and it's like magic. (laughs) Everything is done for me and ready for me to go uh, every single Tuesday so we can have a consistent podcast for you. And that's truly because of the magic that Podigy provides. Support for this episode today also comes from my friends at ConvertKit. So if you have a business and you want to send some better emails, ConvertKit is totally my jam. I pay you for this email service out of pocket and I love it for a lot of reasons. Number one, automation. I'm always looking to make my business and my life way more smooth and easy. And it's super handy because I can create automated emails and have things and sequences that are sent out automatically with ease. One of my favorite features that they offer is a visual automation. So you can see visually what your emails look like and who gets what based on what tags and what people are doing and clicking. It's so simple. It frees up so much time. Plus the emails are really clean. They look really nice and the software is so easy to navigate. You know, I'm not super great at tech, but I love when software is just so seamless and beautiful. And I'm like, oh, I understand how to do it. So if you want to make your emails a lot more simple and help you sell more stuff, ConvertKit will totally be your jam. When you use the link in the show notes, you will get 30 days of a free trial without a credit card, which is really 
sweet. And that is a listener bonus just for you. So when you are ready to give ConvertKit a try, just click the link in the show notes to score that extended free trial. Usually it's a lot shorter, um, but if you are a listener to my show, I have scored you this sweet bonus and you can try it for 30 days, give it a go, create some sequences, send some emails, see how you like it, and then take your love to the next level. The link is for you in the show notes when you are ready to get started. So peeps, that is a little intro and I am so stoked to welcome in Alex and our conversation today. All right. Well, welcome to the show, Alex. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. This is actually my first podcast. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so honored. I love when it's a guest's first podcast. I didn't know that as I feel like you would have just done like a bajillion um, because you're so you're so good with your words. And I feel like whoever gets the first podcast always gets like the juicy interview of like everything this person's got to (laughs) say. They're just like ready to to dump it all on you. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Well, you know, sometimes when you have guests who've done like so many podcast episodes, it's like their interview starts to sound like the same. So I'm so stoked that you're coming on the show. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah. So first and foremost, you just came back from an incredible trip in Mexico. Can you share a little bit more about that with the listeners? Yes. So my long story short, my husband and I um, put all our stuff in storage. We lived in San Francisco before and we put all our stuff in storage and then um, took ourselves and our dog to Mexico for a month. The idea behind it is that we really didn't want to live a very stressed out rat race kind of life. I actually wrote a piece about it on on our moon called I'm done with the rat race, but we were just so over that the grind really. And not, well, we've been talking about traveling, but more so just getting a changing lifestyles really for five, over five years. This is definitely something we've talked about a lot. And one of the decisions we made was before we actually go and do something, we want to take a month off and just go fully chill out somewhere. And so we decided Mexico because it was super easy to travel with our pup to Mexico. And it was great. We we rented a house for a month and then kind of just did two day trips all over. And it was it was a blast. I highly recommend Mexico if anyone's looking for an escape because it's it's so cheap too. I mean, you can live off of 50 cent tacos and it's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love that. And the place you guys stayed was so gorgeous. I loved watching your Instagram stories and um, the way you edit things and or like the way you put stuff together is so visually beautiful. It's like a feast for my eyes. So I was like, oh, yay. I'm lo- I was loving watching your your trip. Thank you. One of my friends was recently talking about my Instagram stories in Mexico. And she was like, I swear you have a talent to like, know when your puppy's about to do something or when your husband's about to do something funny. And somehow I I catch it. But yeah, this, the Instagram Mexico stories are pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. And you definitely do have a knock for those, which I love, you know, I love to watch the behind the scenes in people's lives. That's always interesting to me. (laughs) I'm like the ultimate creep. (laughs) Yeah. On my end, it is. It includes my husband vacuuming in his boxers. That's mostly what my Instagram stories are about. I know. I've seen those on the highlight. Those are so hilarious. Um, Yeah, (laughs) those are so funny. So drop us into your day so far as well. Can you share a little bit about your morning routine um, and what you ate for breakfast and like how you start your days? Today is a bad day to ask me that. (laughs) I I woke up at 5.30. My dog woke me up and chased my cat. So I woke up super early and... I watched a Game of Thrones episode. Um, That's the first thing I did this morning, which is like the opposite of what I guess you're supposed to do. And then I did not have a healthy breakfast. I had randomly, I made garlic broth. We're in Canada now, so I was trying to stay healthy. And then I had chocolate covered almonds right after. So not the healthiest morning, but the best at the same time. I love that. I love it when people have just, they just kind of like go with the flow and do what they like. Um, I love that. I think that's super fun because it's always, you know, sometimes people are so regimented with their morning routines and I think it's fun to just flow with it and see what comes up and just go with what feels fun. So I, I love that you shared that. I mean, I feel like everyone, especially when I lived in LA for three years, I feel like everyone has this elaborate morning routine, which is great. Some of my friends do as well. And I, I feel like I've tried to do that because, you know, that's kind of what wellness on paper looks like is very elaborate, like Zen morning. But as much as I try, it's just not never what my mornings look like. And I'm learning to accept and embrace it. But 
the food part, normally I do eat a little bit healthier, but I'm getting my period pretty soon. So that it just wasn't today. <laughs> All good. And you know, garlic broth sounds good. You know, keeps the cold away. It's the middle of winter in Canada. So I think you're on good track. And it's cold. I know, totally, especially from Mexico. It's definitely cold here. So I would love to dive into Honor Moon and what kind of got you started on creating that because, you know, you have such an incredible voice and you have such a beautiful way of articulating things. And you have created this amazing community with this really deeply important message. So can you share a little bit about what inspired you to get started? I think for me, really what what the drive was behind it is when... So about two and a half years ago, I was in a really bad spot. I was unfulfilled, really unhappy in every aspect of my life. I hated my job. I just, I wasn't happy or fulfilled whatsoever. I was living in LA at the time and that ultimately led me to start, I guess, to start working on some of my baggage. And I didn't really know that that was what I was doing, but I basically spent six months going to moon circles and going to workshops. And I was started reading a bunch. Um, and really what happened during those six months is like, it was an unraveling of myself and my story and my history really. And all these parts that I'd kept hidden for many, many years. I started attending moon circles religiously. I went every two weeks for the full moon and new moon for almost a full year. I, I maybe in that year missed like one or two moon circles. And when I attended these circles, I just felt, you know, this like safe space where women were sharing really vulnerable stuff. And it just was so amazing to me that strangers, I was sharing more vulnerably with strangers than with my own family and friends. I really wanted to recreate that online because what I was actually doing at the time was, I was blogging and what I was projecting to the world was perfectionism. Every, you know, my content, everything was perfect. The way I was dressed, though, you know, everything was basically selling perfectionism. And I, I internally, I struggled with it a lot because on the inside, my life didn't feel like that. And so when I started attending these moon circles, that's like what I wanted more of. And I felt like everything, especially at the time, everything online was so curated that I wanted to create a space where we could be more vulnerable and we could, cause I, I really felt like not just what I was craving that, but I felt like people that were attending these moon circles for the first time, or if I had friends that flew into town and came to visit me, I would drag them over to a moon circle. And I felt like everyone around me was craving vulnerability. And so that's really what inspired me to start on our moon was that desire to go against this like perfectly curated world that was starting to happen that was already happening, but that was at, at its peak two, three years ago, I'd say. I love that. I love that. And you're so right. The curated stuff, it's everywhere. And we so are craving that raw, authentic, real, like, you know, how's your heart? What's really happening in your life? Like, what do you, what's like really going on for you? Like those narratives and those conversations are so important. And it's like the more curated Instagram gets, and you're so right. Like it definitely hit that like saturation point. I agree. Like that two, three years ago when everything felt like a Pinterest board and it's just like, where is the real stuff? And yeah, I love that you share on that and really bring that to the service because that's what we all want so badly. And especially, you know, feeling so seen and heard when we feel like our lives don't look like curated Instagram grids and like perfect highlight reels. So I really love that you share that. Yeah. I, I love Instagram. Don't get me wrong. And I think I love all, I've definitely been able to see all the good things about Instagram, but I've also really changed how I use the app. You know, I don't really, I spend a lot of time with it on it, but I really spend a lot of time engaging on it, which is very different than just scrolling endlessly, which is definitely what I did before. But most importantly, what during this time, like what I was doing, I just got rid of every anyone who made me feel shitty, just got an insta unfollow. And that included friends too. But mostly it included people that were selling the same type of lifestyle I was selling before, because those are those were all the people I, fo I followed at the time. And so now all the people I follow are, inspire me. And so I, I love reading their captions. You know, I love reading their vulnerability and what they're stepping into because it inspires me to step more into myself every time. And so I think Instagram is a great tool and don't get me wrong. I, I still see posts that obviously catch me on a bad day that make me feel crappy inside, of course, but for the most part, I feel like everything 
like the algorithm and the people that I follow is now more curated to a vulnerable and less curated type of feed. So it may, it, it immediately makes me feel better as well. But yeah, we definitely obviously have a long way to go because there's still very much, you know, that happening in the online community, but it's, it's definitely shifted. I think a lot, just even in what I'm seeing people share just friends and family, you know, I just, I feel like everyone's just ready for that to no longer have like that sense of perfectionism online. I think people are just tired of it. And I love how you curated your feed. So it was reflective of like more vulnerable real accounts, like, you know, instead of just like following the ones that are just picture perfect, but like creating the space that you want to see. I think that's so important. You know, a couple, about a year ago, I did a huge unfollow. I think I unfollowed like a thousand people. Uh, I've just like, same thing as you, anybody that like triggered me or like made me feel bad about myself or like something was like not clicking for me. I was just like, this is my sacred space. And I wanted to be more like of a place where I felt good every time I opened it versus like crappy. And that unfollow button is so powerful. I like, it's like one of my favorite, favorite buttons on Instagram, (laughs) but it's true. You got to like exercise that to like protect your sacred space and like tap into the voices you intentionally want to hear not just like noise and like surplus stuff or accounts that are just quote unquote popular because everyone else is following them. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah, a big, a really big one for me was unfollowing accounts like Revolve and all of their influencers. And at the time, it makes me laugh so hard now because it's so not where I'm at and it's so not who I am right now. But three and a half years ago, all I wanted to be like my ideal collaboration was with Revolve. And then the more I started getting into this work and the unraveling of myself, if you will, the more I realized that that was the opposite of what I wanted. And, you know, obviously because I was blogging at the time, like that looked like that was the only way to success was partnering with accounts like that. And then the more you realize that they're just selling the same crap that you're selling it makes you realize that it's all just a bunch of bullshit, you know? That's what I saw so clearly on their account. And then, you know, there's, it's not inclusive. So like the more you start learning, not just about yourself, but about inclusivity and white privilege and all those kind of things, the more you start noticing that the other accounts that have that flaw and you just don't, you naturally don't want to be a part of that anymore. And a good friend of mine, while I was kind of go through this, where I was talking about it and this was before I unfollowed all these accounts. And she was like, yeah, I guess I don't experience that because I'm an artist and every single person I follow is an artist. And when I go on my Instagram, it's like Pinterest. I'm just endlessly inspired. And I thought, wow, isn't that what general idea behind Instagram? Like, that's amazing. If you can open the app and be endlessly inspired by the people that you follow, like that's the feeling that I want to have. And, and I do now with the people that, and I follow a lot of writers now and, Anyways, it's people forget how much in control they are of what the app can feed you based on who you follow and what you like and comment on. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. And it's so true. And I also appreciate what you shared about, you know, engagement and spending more time engaging versus just like endlessly scrolling. Cause that's such a huge piece about, you know, Instagram too, is like the, like engaging with the people that you love and genuinely want to hear more from versus just that consuming all of this stuff, almost like numb, being like totally numb and doing it. So I think it's a great approach to, to, to social. I kind of want to, you know, talk a little bit more and dig into, you know, how you really started to own your truth and really start sharing this stuff publicly and creating this platform and really being like, you know, that moment of like, yeah, I'm going to like put this out there. Cause I think that's such a brave, bold move that so many of us struggle with and are still navigating. So when did you have that like first aha moment that you should start to share your truth? It's a journey, right? There's it's, I didn't just wake up one day and I was like, I'm going to share it all. You know, I'm ready. It's definitely baby steps, but I'd say one very profound experience I had is while I was going through this learning and more importantly, unlearning, I went to this conference in LA and I want to say where there was probably about 300 women in this, in the room. And the speaker asked if there was any questions and I was right at the front. So I could have easily gone up, but I was too 
like my heart was racing, you know, sweaty palms, the thought of going up there and asking a question. I mean, it just, my whole body paralyzed and no one went up there. And she, she said, you know, if you're thinking, if you have a question or a thought, someone else in the room is thinking it and you're doing them a disservice to not share it. And that definitely sparked something in in me, but I still didn't go up and ask my question. And then later there was these breakout groups and I shared what my question was to one of the people I was talking to. And she said, wow, that's such a great question. I wish you would have asked it because I would have loved to know that answer. And that really resonated with me. And I think that every time that I'm like scared to share something or scared to ask a question, you know, when I get those same feelings, like my heart rate, it happens a lot less now because it's definitely a muscle that you just have to exercise. But it, you know, it still happens where I get nervous and I don't want to ask something or I don't want to ruffle feathers. And now I think about that every time, like you not asking a question or sharing your thought or an experience is doing a disservice to everyone else in the room. Because if you're thinking it, the chances are someone else in the room is thinking it as well. I mean, that on top of going to moon circles really helped me step into sharing my story more and more. Again, baby steps, but that was a very profound experience that I had that helped shift me moving away from like the noise in my mind and just stepping into whatever my heart is telling me to ask or to share. What does that process look like for you now when, you know, you feel that sort of calling in your heart to like, all right, like say something, like speak up. What do you like walk yourself through anything in your head? Do you just like, you know, give yourself like a timer, like, okay, three, two, one, I have to say it. Or are you just like, you know, have you become, you know, so good at practicing the muscle that you can just speak up? Or is there kind of like any little thought pattern or process that you run through before you do something bold and more courageous? Me two years ago, recording this, I, I, my heart right now isn't race, racing. I'm like super excited to be here and I can't wait to have what well, we're having already having a conversation, but I can't wait to continue this conversation. But me two years ago, I mean, my whole body would have reacted to my nerves. I don't really experience that anymore just because I feel like it is, it is a muscle, but it is interesting where I do still feel that way and just random scenarios. And I think for me, it's definitely coming to terms with realizing that I'm not alone. And I think that often would make me not want to share things because I thought I was the only one experiencing something. So I didn't want to be embarrassed or I didn't want to feel ashamed. And then the second thing that I've really Uh, that I always used to grapple with is that it doesn't have to be perfect. So part of why I think if I did this two years ago, that my body would feel like tight and I would, yeah, I'd just be like paralyzed really is because I would need every word that comes out of my mouth to be perfect or everything that I share in my writing needs to be perfect. And I, a friend of mine said this this morning, actually, and it's exactly, uh, it is, it just needs to be good enough. It doesn't need to be perfect. And I think that I've really come to terms with that in my writing too. Like I don't need to be, you know, every article I share, it doesn't need to be perfect. I mean, it just needs to be good enough. And these thoughts and these ideas need to come through. I mean, I'd like it to be perfect, but you know, this, this idea that sharing needs to be done perfectly. um, You know, it's just not how vulnerability works. It comes with those like the frog in the in the throat, and the heart racing, like it's a part of it. And then the more you do it, the more you just really ease into it. But yeah, this whole idea of it being perfect is really what I've let go of. Like it doesn't need to be perfect. And that doesn't happen overnight. At least it didn't for me and maybe for some people, but for me, that took basically it's taken two years for me to get to that place. Yeah. And I feel the same with you as well. Like, you know, getting rid of that need for it to be perfect. Cause I, I remember when I first started the show, which was a year ago, I wanted every episode to be perfect. And like, I would write out the episodes. I would like have my speaking points. I would like script it. I would, at the beginning, I would read it out, like read it out loud step-by-step. Step. And then, you know, that point of, you know, when you can just let yourself be human and be messy. And I, I so love what you shared about just letting it be good enough. And you know what, when we are, when we say things that are just the truth, it always lands for the other person. And sometimes, you know, we forget that our vulnerability and like whatever way it stumbles out of our mouth might be like the exact perfect thing that somebody else needs to hear. And yeah, that perfectionistic bit is, has been such a big muscle for me as well to like break that pattern and just be like, okay, Kelly, enough, like trying to make it perfect. It's time to just put it out there. It's good enough. Like do it anyways. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like the most refined thing, especially, you know, 
I feel like we're so good at that in like our society trying to like make everything like so perfect and like beautiful and immaculate and like the most perfect Twitter clip in like 140 characters. Like we're so good at like putting it into perfect chunks that, you know, the raw, the beauty really is in like the rawness and in the almost like the rough draft in the first outline. So I really appreciate you shared that. And also who are we to decide what resonates or not and how it resonates? Like I definitely have come to realize that with On Our Moon, because when I was blogging before, you know, it was very numbers driven, right? Like how many likes am I getting? You know, that, that was at the top. And now with creating this platform, I've come to realize that sometimes the things that really resonate and the things that I know are really helping people shift things or help heal things, whatever the topic is, those happen behind the scenes. You know, often I don't like what, what I'm noticing a lot on our moon is that I don't even get a like from the person or a comment. I'll get a, they'll send me the post again, which I always find funny, but they'll send me the post in a DM and say, this really hit home or thank you for, or, you know, whatever it is. And it's usually a photo that doesn't have a lot of likes. And so letting go of that perfectionism, of course, is key, I think, in sharing, but also this idea of like, I'm not, I can't decide what resonates. You know, it's like, I'm sure with your podcast, like for some people, one episode is really going to help shift things and another episode is not going to resonate. And that all of that is okay. But you're not, I guess you and I, when we speak are not in control of which article or which podcast is going to land when and how. And it's very freeing. It actually, that used to that used to be a part of that, like kind of perfectionism is that everything I said and everything I wrote needed to resonate and needed to there, you know, it needed to be impactful and it really, I really don't need it to be, you know? Um, So I think letting go of that too has been huge. Like opening up myself to any possibility of like, this may resonate for a hundred and this may only resonate for one person and that's enough, or it may resonate for no one but myself. And that's okay too. Yeah, I love that. And that's so true. I I love that you share that because I feel so much the same. You know, um, I don't even really look at uh, podcast stats anymore because I'm like, I don't care. I, I, I just trust that the universe is going to send it to the right ears that need to hear it. And I love what you shared, you know, you know, at the best it's, it's what I need to share for me and it doesn't matter. And I think that's such an important part as well about having a message and having a platform is even if you're just serving yourself and supporting yourself, it served its purpose. You know, the message served its purpose. So I love that you bring that up. Hey there, it's me. I'm just swinging by really quickly to interrupt this amazing and divine episode. And I want to pause and ask you this one question. Are you feeling kind of stuck on your path to greatness? Do you feel like there's something out there that you desire, but you're kind of holding yourself back? You're not really going for it and you're really not showing up for that life calling of yours? If so, I would love to introduce you to the mindset work. So what exactly is mindset? Well, it's where your mind is set. So this looks like your thoughts, your beliefs, and how you perceive the world to be. All you need is a couple of quick and simple tools to help you shift the way you think. This is the stuff that has truly transformed my life and has allowed me to soar to the highest level of achievement. Now, I want to teach you these exact skills. They're super easy. And I want to invite you to my free six-day video course called How to Master Your Mindset. So when you enroll, you're going to learn how to ace your inner critic and finally ditch that negative self-talk, how to deal with that fear of yours and really go for what you want, how to overcome those self-limiting beliefs that keep you small, stuck, and settling. You'll learn how to truly step into your personal power and worth and adopt the possibility mindset that allows you to just watch and witness your dreams unfold. So all you got to do to get access to this sweet, awesome, and free, yes, I said the magic word, free course, is just kellytrack.com slash mindset. And the link is in the show notes. That's kellytrack.com slash mindset. All right, peeps. Now back to the show. So I would love to also switch gears a little bit and talk about navigating shame, which is something you cover really in depth um, through your work. Shame. (laughs) Yeah, which really comes in with owning your truth and perfectionism is shame, good old shame. Maybe first and foremost, how do you define shame or how do you look at what shame is or what it represents for you? Because 
shame is one of those words where it's like you can feel the feeling of shame, but sometimes we don't really understand the different forms of shame we might experience. Well, first of all, anyone who wants to know more about this should read all of Brene Brown's books. She studied this. I think she studied this for 12 years. Um, She's amazing. Just the way she explains things, it's incredibly relatable. She's a shame genius. But really what I've come to realize about shame is that, and this is what Brene Brown says too, is we all experience shame. And I think shame before, that's why I always laugh because now shame is such a liberating word to me because I love talking about it. And I think we all need to talk about it more. But the word shame before I love the word was this very heavy word and something you're not supposed to feel. And, you know, or, or it's not a desired feeling, obviously every single person, unless you don't experience connection and empathy, you will experience shame on some level. And during those like two years of learning about myself, again, specifically unlearning, I realized how many shame stories of shame I had within myself. I never put shame and my stories in the same sentence. And I realized that my whole life story is just like one giant umbrella of shame. (laughs) Um, So down to my upbringing, I come from a divorced family and that has brought me a lot of shame, not just because my parents separated, but because my dad went back to his first wife and I'm the product of an affair. And, you know, it was really messy and complicated. And my relationship with my half brother was messy and complicated. And all those feelings I had growing up, that feeling of I'm not like the rest of them, that was all shame. But I didn't, I didn't have language for that growing up. You know, when I'm like seven or eight, I just knew that I wasn't accepted like everyone else. And I knew that I yeah, was rejected in some ways by family members and whatnot. You know, even again, I couldn't articulate it at the time, but that feeling of shame, like I've carried through my life, then in my early twenties, trying to figure out what I want to do in in life. I, I was raped one night, like that then feeds the shame of what I was told when I was younger, which was that I wasn't good enough, you know, or that I wasn't lovable. I realized like all these different stories, like from money to my body to my childhood, to being mixed, to being the product of an affair, all of those stories are all intertwined in shame. And they all affect how I move and act in the world. And so because of all these stories and these experiences that I've ha- that I've had happen, you know, we all have had things happen to us. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect life. And we all carry these stories of shame. And all of them, if you let it, can f- feed more shame, if that makes sense. So for example, me becoming a writer has literally taken 15 years. I, I longer even, I, I remember when I, one of my earliest memories was telling my grandmother that I wanted to be a writer. And she told me that, um, writers don't make money and that I need to do something. And, you know, I was super young when this happened and I didn't even really call myself a writer. I changed my Instagram bio, I think six months ago where I wrote writer. And so even though this is what's something I've been doing writing for so long, I didn't consider myself good enough to write or to be a writer. And that is because all these like different stories of shame all help serve the narrative that I'm not enough or that I'm not good enough. You carry that through in your adulthood, in the people you date, in the bold decisions you choose to make or you choose to not make, they affect, they deeply affect you or and they have, at least for me. And so in uncovering my shame and sitting with these stories and really trying to learn what they have to teach me, I've been able to become more and more and more myself because I'm, I'm getting rid of everyone else's projected stories that were put on me in childhood. You know, again, we, we laugh about it, but shame is such a strong word. And people, you know, I think if I said, oh, I'm leaving a circle of shame, like not a lot of people would show up to that, I think, because that word is so heavy. But the more I've been able to sit with these, you know, what makes me feel ashamed, the more I've been able to become myself and get rid of all that heavy baggage that has deeply affected decisions I've made in my life. You know, it's, it's, it's why I stayed with a guy I knew I wasn't supposed to stay with for seven years. It's why I didn't write or release any of my writing earlier because, you know, I wasn't ready, but mostly I was being weighed down by that shame and the narrative that I'm not good enough. I don't know if I just went off on a rant, but that, but that, uh, 
that basically is what my journey with shame so far has looked like. And it's been incredibly liberating. Um, I feel like, you know, the shame handcuffs have been released. And the reason why I'm so excited about what we're doing with On Our Moon is because we all experience this. On some level or another, we all have these stories that are similar and different of how we carry shame. Yeah. And I would love to, you know, ask a little bit more about, you know, you say how you're, you sit with the shame. I would love to ask a little bit more about, you know, how you process through it and what that looks like when you experience that shame now and how you move through that, especially, you know, when we first feel that feeling and the shame, it comes kind of like as this like tight, almost clench in our stomachs and like the hot panic sweats, you know, how you get to the other side of more self-acceptance. Well, I think there's a difference between being embarrassed and shame. So being embarrassed often is like that, you know, you feel it very much in your body in the present, but shame lives really, really deep. Like shame is, we can get into this more, but there's this woman that I saw in LA and she said that uh, women's relationship to money, power, and sex lies in their womb. And so many women are not in their power right now that they're having so many quote womb problems is what she said. When I, when she said that to me, I mean, just like years of memories started flashing before my eyes. So I, when I was with this guy that I was telling you, just telling you about for seven years, I probably was on antibiotics more, <laughs> more than like five times a year for seven years because I had bladder infections. I had cysts in my right ovaries. I mean, my body, I didn't realize it at the time, but my body was literally screaming to get out. It took me seven years to leave that relationship. And that's because the shame that I had, I like it, it, I carried it so deeply that it affected my ability to just do things that I now kind of take for granted, right? I think, so there's a difference between being embarrassed and shame. I think shame is very deeply rooted in us. And I think we care it manifests in our bodies but how i move through it now is really with time like i i don't think you can process shame overnight i don't think there's this quick remedy because often our shame stems from stuff that we experienced in childhood and that takes a lot of time a lot of patience and a lot of vulnerability and for me the most impactful thing i think i've done in navigating through that is getting rid of this idea that it's going to happen overnight. Like as long as I'm moving baby steps in the right directions, and sometimes you'll backtrack, but as long as I'm moving kind of in the same, you know, in the direction of healing and releasing my shame, I'm doing the, I'm doing the right things. For example, getting rid of shame around sexual trauma. That has been a big theme of mine for the last three years. And that I've come to realize recently might be, that might take, a decade for me to fully release of all that shame. And maybe, you know, maybe it'll happen overnight, one night, but as of right now, it's a slow um, process. And I realized it was slow because there's still so many triggers I experienced. Like when the Ka Kavanaugh hearing happened, that whole, those two days, I was in just a complete, I was a complete wreck basically. And it's because I was hearing so many stories on, on our moon, people were sharing with me. It just triggered Everything that happened that night, it just triggered everything in me and brought out that shame again. The biggest thing that I did differently in that moment is I just allowed myself to feel it. Like instead of just being like, you know, you're better now, like get over it. Like you're fine. Like this, this night no longer affects you. I, I really sat with my feelings and I cried endlessly and I journaled and I did all those things that I know make me feel better. But most importantly, I just accepted how I was feeling in that moment. And that in turn then helps alleviate that shame, like moving forward. I guess there's no like one way to get rid of shame because it's different for everyone. But for me, it's been really being patient that it, these like things that have weighed me heavily my whole life aren't just going to disappear overnight. It's, it's going to take time and being patient with myself. I also, also often ask myself, like when I'm triggered or when I'm feeling something of shame, like when in my life did I feel like this before? You know, if it's okay, standing in front of a crowd and speaking, and I feel like I didn't do a good job, or I feel like, um, people are making fun of me or I feel, you know, I think it's embarrassment, but really what it is is shame coming to the surface. And then I ask myself, like, what is the core feeling? And often it's like, I'm not worthy or I'm not good enough. And then I ask myself, like, where in childhood or in my upbringing did I feel that before? And being able to connect the dots helps me 
not feel that as much in the present. Because I see that when I'm in those type of situations, they're just bringing up past experiences. Like being embarrassed is usually something that happens in the present. But shame is about past experiences that are living inside you in the current. And so I think asking myself, like, yeah, where did have I felt? When have I felt like this before? Who has made me feel like this before? And being able to connect those dots, that that's really what the process has looked like for me. But again, that just takes time. You know, it's like it's it's almost like asking if you want to shame through move through shame really quickly, it's like asking a therapist to do 10 sessions in one session, you know, it just doesn't quite work like that. It's a lot to process and things just take time. Yeah. That's so powerful, Alex. I thank you so much for sharing that. It's so true. You know, we always want the, the fast fix and like the 10 step hack and like, you know, the bandaid, the Amazon prime delivery, like ASAP right now. I like that you shared, you know, things take time and sitting with it and being with it and allowing yourself to feel through it and move through it and know that it has its own time period to work with. Because sometimes we get so frustrated and angry with ourselves that, oh, it's taking so long. Why am I not over this yet? Or like this thing is coming up again for me. So I really appreciate what you shared about allowing it to just be what it is and allowing yourself to really feel into it and give yourself the compassion to move through it over time versus like the pressure of the overnight fix. And I so love the metaphor of like, you know, like going to the therapist and asking for 10 sessions, like all at once. Cause it just like, doesn't work like that, except our like egotistical rational minds are like, why can't I just be done with this? Um, and I, so I feel that a lot in my own life too. Like, why am I not over this? So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly what came up to me, came up for me at the Kavanaugh during the Kavanaugh hearing was how am I still not over this? Like you've done so much, like, you know, you've gone to all these workshops. I thought this was done. Like I, you know, you shared your story, you, you know, you've, you've shared it multiple times in different ways. You, you've gone to therapy, you've gone to these workshops, like how, how are you being this triggered? And the thing about triggers is I don't get to decide when I'm triggered, you know, especially since we're in this era of wellness and trying to heal there's just so much emphasis on this like quick 10 step thing. Like you said, I love that you said the Amazon prime. Um, yeah. Amazon prime of healing, but it just doesn't work that way. And as long as you know that you're moving in the right direction, even though like during the Kavanaugh trial, like that to me felt like a step back, but really what I was, what I realized now that I'm out of it is I was actually stepping deeper into, um, healing. But healing doesn't look like what it looks like on Instagram. You know, it doesn't mean you're dressed in all white, burning sage. Like, that's not what that looks like. It's messy. It's it's hard. It means having really tough conversations. Like, you know, for me, this like journey of healing and, and unlearning and all that kind of stuff has meant setting up boundaries. And setting up boundaries for me has been having really hard, tough conversations with family members and friends you know, I don't feel like we talk enough about what that really looks like. And that's why I'm saying that it takes time because this like quick fit idea of a quick fix, it's just, it doesn't exist. It, I haven't seen it happen to anyone I know, to any healers I know, you know, you just, you go through life and just, I think as long as you know, you're just, you're working on it and trying to get better like that, that's all that you can work on, you know, or like hope for is that there's not this like overnight okay, I'm done. I'm healed. It's like an ongoing thing. Yeah. Yeah. That ongoing healing. It's so true. And it's something we can like forget in our modern world with everything being so fast and so instant and that parts just take time. I talk about this a ton in, in a lot of my work, um, with like business coaching and business coaching clients, you know, same, it's like, so we all want everything like now and nothing happens overnight. There is no get rich quick scheme, no overnight success. Like, you know, there's so many parts of our lives that just take time and being okay with the process and not being like angry with the process, but understanding that that's a, that's a part of it. Well, so, and I'm sure, okay. I'm, I'm sure for your clients then too, cause I feel, I feel this often is, and I, and I have before I even launched on our moon, but you know, when you feel like you're failing at work, it's, you know, it's rejection, you know, whatever it is, you didn't get a deal or you didn't get, you know, 
if it's a monetary deal that you didn't get, or it's you, your Instagram post didn't do well and you hoped it would like what, and everything in between, those are all forms of rejection. Really. Like when you like start peeling back the layers, the root of all that is shame. And that's like really then where you have to ask yourself, like, where have I felt rejected before? Those answers will lead you to a story usually in childhood or your early twenties or whenever that will, you'll be able to connect the dots and see that that's where your shame lives, you know? And I think figuring out quote, like your shame story, I think we all have multiple shame stories that are different and the same. They all kind of stem from the same, but you know, like for example, my money story is very much like related to a lot of the other stuff I was talking about, about not feeling worthy or not feeling good enough. And I think I'm sure a lot of your clients go through that as well. Your listeners where failure and rejection, like at its core is just shame that you felt somewhere else before. And when you're feeling that currently, right? So I'm feeling rejected right now by X, Y, Z, by a client or by a friend, I'm feeling rejected. And it's bringing back up like past things that have happened to me. And when you're not able to connect those dots, then what happens is it feeds the old story. It feeds the old story that I'm not good enough. And that's basically what I did for 10 years is I had constant experiences that made me feel like I wasn't good enough that fed, and I didn't realize at the time, but it was feeding a same story that I had heard and experienced when I was a child. That that's why I think it's so important to talk about shame because it's, it's so deeply rooted in all of us and we, we all have it, you know, it's not this like thing that just like one out of 10 experiences, you know? Yeah. 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 And I, I so agree. And I love the questions that you, that you provided around, you know, where did I experience this before and how it's like still looping from that previous experience. I think that's so powerful. There's, I do a lot of Lacey Phillips's work and her deep imaginings, and she really walks you through finding the triggers and then where is that coming before? And so many shame stories are so reoccurring for me. And I also appreciate that you share, you know, that we have these kind of core shame stories because a lot of like my triggers and, you know, back to the point of what you said, you know, we don't really know what's going to trigger us until it triggers us. And you're like, why am I triggered? And then it comes back. I do, like I'll go through the process and the, the meditation. I'm like, oh my God, this story again, like this random, I go always back to the same one of me. Uh, it was like grade like nine, feeling really overwhelmed about like some math test. And it was just like feeling shame about not like getting a good enough mark. And it was just like, even though it was like so small, it left such a big impression on me. And sometimes we just don't know where these things come from or like even like honoring how small an instance could be. Cause like in my day to day, I never think about grade nine math. And then on like a more subconscious level, grade nine math still hangs out like really prevalently in my head and just allowing it to be whatever it is. I mean, obviously like there's lots of deeper, harder shame stories that I've worked through in my life, but you know, it's like also not being judgmental about whatever did cause you shame when you were young and whatever kind of story that you had picked up and allowing it just to be versus being like, come on, Kelly, like you are a grown woman. Like you do not need to haul around grade nine math narratives, but like, (laughs) you know, like allowing it just to be. And I love that you shared that because I think that, you know, and I, I just shared some like heavy shit. I realized that, but shame isn't just rape or, you know, things like, you know, it's it, shame can be grade nine math, you know, it can live from that one experience. And I think that's so interesting too, when you talk to parents about rape, like, I, you know, as I've gotten older, I've had tougher conversations with my parents about my childhood. One most recently with my mom and it is really interesting. Like when you share, like this really impacted me, like they have no clue. Like that's something that it's like a memory that they don't even really, they don't even really remember experiencing. Yeah. We don't get to choose what our triggers are, but we don't also get to choose like where that shame like necessarily comes from. Right. And I, I do strongly believe that shame is a teacher and it's there to help us get more and more and more in touch with our true self. You know, even though I I never thought I would say these words, but it is true. Like shame has allowed me or listening to my shame has, and, and then seeing the impacts of listening to it and trying to navigate, not push through, which was what I was doing before, but na- trying to navigate what it's trying to teach me 
really has brought me closer to myself and then made me accept myself, made me accept my stories that brought me shame before. And, you know, you don't get to choose your life, just like you don't get to choose your parents. You don't get to choose sometimes what happens to you. And I think now I'm in this space where I'm so grateful, like even the terrible things that no one should be really grateful for, like rape or sexual assault. Like I'm only speaking for myself here, but I'm now in this space where I see what it's provided me. I didn't even think I would say this six months ago, but it's enabled me to get closer to myself than I think any other experience would have. And it's helped me grow, I think, faster than any other experience because that was so heavy and so hard that it was either I drown in the shame or I have to break free. So now I'm in this space where I'm very grateful for all these tough experiences that I never thought I would be. And again, I just want to be sensitive to anyone out there, but for that's just like regarding sexual assault, that's just where I'm at currently. And that's, you know, I'm just speaking from my experience, but, you know, I think to a certain extent, like the more you sit with these stories, the more you realize how much it has impacted you in sometimes positive ways too. Like, you know, I have a very up and down relationship with my mom and it's impacted a lot of things. And now I'm, I can see, see how it's benefited me. And I think when you sit in the shame, especially when you're feeling like you're drowning in the shame, which often when you're in it, you you don't really realize that that's what's happening, but you think everything is working against you. And I, I, you know, now I realize that it was, it was serving me, it was helping me, but yeah, I'm, it's nice to be in this space of gratitude, but you don't get to, you know, regardless of what happens, grade nine math, other bad experiences that you've had, like you don't get to choose what all these things, you know, what happens, but we get to choose how it impacts us now, right? That is like the one thing that we get to decide every day and it makes me so grateful to be in the generation and the time that we're in right now, because, you know, that's another thing I've had is having more compassion for older generations because specifically our parents, because, you know, their generation never talked about this stuff. Like, I don't think my mom at 28, you know, was ever thinking about how her childhood impacted her. I'm noticing a lot of 50, 60, 70 year old moms going through that now. And so I'm very grateful that we're in the time where we, the fact that we're even having this conversation, like, and then get to share it with other people, like that didn't happen before. So again, it's like going back to like, it's not going to change overnight, but we are moving faster than any other generation has before in terms of healing and like stepping into our, our, our full selves, you know? I agree. I do feel the same sort of, you know, compassion that you shared for people that just never had the opportunity to, you know, have spaces where they could share it or speak up or even just like the opportunity to listen in. Like I get so much value from just like listening almost like a fly on the wall to podcasts where I'm like, I could just like nod my head and think like, oh my God, me too. Or like, I feel like that. Or, oh my God, this person gets me. Just having that in our world today and knowing that so many generations before us like did not have this at all. It just makes me really grateful going forward for for our generation and the conversations that we can have because it's just so much more accepted and prevalent. So Thank you so much for sharing and for being a part of it, Alex. And I would love to, you know, take the second to start wrapping up our conversation. It's been so good. Oh my gosh. You're so amazing with your words and everything feels like it just lands so much in my heart. It just feels like, oh yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like, like everything is like a, like a quote to put on a sticky note and like put in your bathroom mirror for like, you know, those times when you're like, I need the like pick me up moment. So just a couple of final Q&A to wrap up. So what would you say to someone who's like just starting out on this journey of owning their truth? It really is an internal journey. And as much as I, as much as I'm creating a platform for people to share their stories and to be seen and heard, I, I think this was, I saw this on Oprah, uh, Steve Harvey was being interviewed by Oprah and he went off about, he like kind of went off on a rant that not everyone deserves to hear your story. When I think back to that quote that I heard after I actually needed it. When you're processing your shame and you're starting to speak up and share your truth, it's incredibly vulnerable to do that. Especially, like I said, it's a muscle, right? We talked, we already talked about this and now I'm in this space where, and you know, it's like compare your first podcast to you now. Like it's, it's, you know, it's night and day, I'm sure. But 
in the beginning, when you first start sharing, especially if it's some really hard stuff that you're moving through, when you share with people, you don't know if people are ready to hear your story or not. And one word and one sentence can make you shut the door on ever sharing again, or make you shut the door on sharing for another year or five years or whatever it is. And I had an experience when I started sharing about my sexual assault, where I shared it with a friend and she said, well, she kind of went off on this rant about there's like all these gray areas and, you know, like women need to talk more about like the fact that there's gray areas and not everything is black and white. And that just, and I know she didn't mean anything by it. And she, she loves me dearly and is a great friend, but that sentence made me feel like my story wasn't worth being told. And that sentence furthered the sentence that I had in my head all along. That was, you deserved it. Like that was your worthiness. Like you deserve that night to happen to you. You know, again, I'm kind of taking it to an extreme as an example now, but on some level, we all have those storylines in our heads. And I think sometimes when you share things to people, like one sentence can help, can like deter you from ever sharing again. And so that's why I say it's really an internal journey. Like I would spend time with yourself, like journal, like get in the habit of writing stuff out. Like I've written sometimes when I'm like during the Kavanaugh hearing, like I wrote pages and pages and pages of how I felt. And then I ripped it all up and it, and I put it in the trash and then I burnt it. And sometimes I don't think we focus enough on like what that internal journey looks like. And I think when you're starting to share your truth, like it's important to focus on that relationship with yourself because the more you're rooted in that, the less you'll be deterred by whatever anyone else says. I'd say that's my biggest advice, but at the end of the day, it is a very individual experience. And, you know, you might only get support in the beginning. I I didn't quite have that, you know, at the start. So I really focused on making sure that my roots are very strong and stable. And then I started really sharing and sharing a little bit here and there. And then what happens is, you know, the more you're seen and heard, it, it just constantly like feeds itself, you know, like shame and speaking up, they're intertwined. The more I speak up, the less shame I experience. The more I work on my shame, the more I speak up. But I think it's really important to embrace that it's an internal journey first and foremost. Yeah, that's such a perfect answer. Yeah. Thank you so much, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's, you know, and it's also like, it being so unique to everybody, yet the points that you shared were, I think it really lands for me and my journey and like what really has helped me navigate the more difficult times in my life. So where else can listeners find you online, connect, say hi, explore more future offerings? I'm, I know that everyone wants to know. <laughs> um, well, we share weekly content on our website, um, articles um, by our team, a lovely team of writers. And then I share a piece every week as well. And then um, on our Instagram, you can find us at On Our Moon. And for those of you in Vancouver, uh, we are hosting a new moon circle March 3rd. And then we'll be in San Francisco and in LA in March as well. Um, so you can just find all the things on our website, www.onourmoon.com. <laughs> Perfect. Yay. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for coming on and for your time and for your amazing words that just feel so good to hear. Your voice is so truly needed and it's one that the world really needs more of. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing and taking this time to spend with us. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm like so, so, so grateful. And this was the best first podcast. Thank you. And there you have it, my friends. That is the show for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for listening. Thank you so much for subscribing to the show, for rating and reviewing the podcast. I so appreciate you. If you love this episode today with Alex, please take a screenshot of it and upload it to your Instagram stories. Tag us both in it. It's just at on our moon and at Kelly track. I would love to see what you loved, what you enjoyed, what your favorite aha moments were. I'm so excited to connect with you further on the gram and say hi. So if you're like, oh my God, I 
am in love with everything Alex said today. Just take a quick screenshot and upload it to your stories. And I'm really excited to hear what your favorite part was. Thank you so much to you for tuning in and for always being here. I so appreciate having you as a part of my community. It means the absolute world to me that you choose to listen to The Kelly Track Show. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there and there are lots of different things you could be doing with your time. And I so honor and appreciate that you are here. It really means so much to me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are so loved. And I really deeply appreciate you. And thank you so much to my podcast production team that supports me. I could not have a show without you. So Riley, Dan, and Jenna, I love you three very much. (laughs) You mean so much to me and you make my life really easy. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, have an amazing week and I will catch you back here soon. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today. If you love this episode, please take a second to share it with somebody that you know needs to hear this message. And if you feel so called and so moved, please write an honest review of what you think about this podcast in iTunes and leave me some stars. That would truly help me out on my journey to helping millions and millions of people. And until next time, have a lovely day and I'm so excited to see you back here soon.